it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. On this episode, we welcome Dr. Renee Mandre to the show. Um, she's a public speaker, educator, author, and mentor. Um, come learn about how Dr. Renee uh, visited uh, some Indian uh, tea markets. Um, also, uh, there's definitely no coffee on uh, this episode of the show, as neither myself or um, my guest have ever drank a cup of coffee in our entire lives. So sit back, grab a cup of tea, and enjoy. Alright guys, welcome uh, to Tea with Mike. Uh, yes, I'm Tea with Mike, and, and joining me for this episode is uh, Dr. Renee uh, Mutray. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so honored uh, to be here. Yes, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. So um, just a little bit of context before we uh, jump into this. Uh, so Dr. Uh, Renee is an author, a speaker, and men mentor, and we're going to be talking about uh, some of these uh, things on, on the show today. So why don't you tell uh, people a little bit about you? Absolutely. And again, thank you for having me. Um, I am an educational psychologist professor at a university here in the United States. And I also am a public speaker, um, as you mentioned, an author now of a book called The Unbecoming. And I teach and train um, all around the world, teachers, um, educators, counselors, psychologists, things like that in social and emotional learning and um, have been on Instagram now for a couple of years. And also I'm a podcaster of the Inner Revolution. Awesome, so, so it sounds like you lots of formal education and then also very creative at the, at the same time. Yeah, I was joking with a friend of mine the other day. I said, who else would go through you know, grad school for 12 years with no intention of having anything on the end of it, right? So I always knew I was gonna be a professor since I was four. It really was what I had always wanted to do. But so yeah, absolutely. And been creative and had that sort of spark as well. So I've been very blessed. And, and that's very cool to be able to kind of like blend the, blend the two together, which if, if you if you look out there, at least to my knowledge, um, not that many people can mix all these like different things to get together to to create what you're creating. Yeah, absolutely. As an academic, sometimes we're in a really stringent pathway of of how we're allowed to think and what we're allowed to produce as researchers and scholars, but. Over the years with, you know, obviously qualitative research and spiritual psychology, which is where I sort of fall, um, I think the, the gray area has blurred much more, which is beautiful and allows us to do great things. And people like Brene Brown, who I've been at many conferences with as an academic, you know, before she was famous, and she was the one who let us out, which was really nice, that said you could be a scholar, but you could still be spiritual and creative, and you're not violating anything out there in the world. Yeah. Awesome. So, so have you always kind of uh, mixed education and creativity together, or is uh, the creativity element something that came a little bit uh, later as you began your like, educational journey? 
Yeah, it's a great question. My creativity has always been with me, but it actually came through a very dysfunctional place when I was really little because I suffered profound panic and anxiety disorder from the time I was three until I was about 30 and maybe even 33 now that I think about it. But so my creativity came through the, you know, worst case scenario, the stories you could tell yourself about, oh, my God, what's happening to me? Um, You know, this is never going to work out. I'm not good enough. But hard to have to overcompensate and prove myself through those things, right? And so when I finally became very knowledgeable of the fact that creativity is a spectrum and it has a purpose on both sides of light and dark and people yeah. who think that they aren't creative, when you say, oh, well, let's think about your panic attacks. What, what thoughts do you have when you have those? Think about how that's like dark horror movie type creativity, right? <laughs> Um, Stephen King stuff, you can create that. You can easily fuel your energy over here and create something more beautiful. So I started off on the dysfunctional side of creativity, learn to move my energy and, and be far more productive with it. Very, very nice. And then, so do you want to, uh, I guess, dive, dive a little deeper into some of the kind of the, like the creative work that you've done in terms of writing, public yeah. speaking first off? And then we're getting to the, the mentorship and the moment when you realized that you could help others uh, uh, be mo- basically motivational to others in a variety of settings. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my speaking sort of developed as a result of being a professor. We are required to publish, to present, you know, to always have these venues. And I remember, though, my very first big speaking gig was as valedictorian of my high school class. And I was a very shy, introverted, anxious woman, right, who at the age of 17 is told that she has to address over 585 people in her valedictorian address. And I said, what? I have to do what? (laughs) And of course, the panic started happening. But in that moment, I sat down and wrote my speech. And I took it to my counselor, who was the one who had to approve it. And she said, where did this come from? Like, how did you create? I said, I just sat down and wrote. And she said, wow, you really have something here. And I never really thought of myself as a writer or a speaker, but I knew I was going to be a teacher. You know, I always love teaching. And so I was like, okay, this makes sense. And I remember the day of the valedictorian address, everything just blurred out. I don't even remember anything. Like I just was in this flow, in this zone. And all these people are looking at me, but I just did it. And I knew at that moment that there was going to be something that would keep revisiting me in my life. And I didn't do too much public speaking after that. I became a high school teacher for a little while. And then I went back to grad school and started to to get that bug. But something was missing. You know, the academic presentations are to fellow professors, right? Colleagues in the field. Like, I felt like I was 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 creating. And... That was when I decided I needed to start writing in other forums, too, um, just to really get out to the regular everyday mom or a person who was struggling with anxiety who couldn't read, you know, what my P and my alphas were and my, you know, my beta regression models and all that. Like, they don't know what they don't care what that crap is. Right. They want to hear how do I fix my anxiety? How do I get better? How do I feel better in life? And so long story short, which came into the book, which is really new for me. I have published tons of journal articles. I've written textbook chapters for publishers, right? I've done all that stuff. 
it's like boring. Um, and I just <laughs> one day I was like, okay, I'm going to write a book about my life. And this was three years, actually four years now, I sat down to write this book. And I kept burning out every time I tried to write it, kept trying to write it. And I realized because I was writing it from the wrong forum. And I was trying to be a self-help psychologist, writing a typical book of my life and lessons learned. And I said, that's not what I love. Like, I want to tell my story how I want to tell my story, which was through the creative energy that I had as a kid. And so what I decided to do was write a science fiction novel with time travel, you know, wormholes, you know, all sorts of weird spiritual stuff. Yeah, because I love shows like Fringe and, you know, all that kind of stuff growing up. You know, Supernatural, those are like my shows. And so I decided I'm going to write my story amidst this girl who basically goes back in time and learns to unbecome things, to let things go, to surrender, to release, not to become anymore. And she meets up with all these mystical guides across these periods of time and lets go of certain traumas in her life within each chapter. And it was so cathartic when I wrote it. It was the greatest thing I had ever done. I had a meltdown around chapter four because <laughs> everything came up, you know, in my life. I was like, good God, that was painful. Um, but that was, it was really fun to do that. And I don't see myself, I've tried, I tried to sit down and write workbooks for people now and things like that. And it's, it just doesn't happen. But if I can teach it from the spiritual lens, the more supernatural lens, it comes easier. So okay. yeah. More, it's a little bit more fun. It's a little bit more uh, easy, easy going. And, and yeah. Yeah. And it's not so, you know, I think there's way too many self-help books out in the market anyway. You know, it's like how many there that help you unbecome and unravel certain parts of your life that you're trying to get better at, you know? Yeah. Very cool. And then, and then so just going back for a brief second, do you, do you remember what you wrote about in your speech as a vile Victorian? I still have it. Yes. It's a, I have this photo album from high school with everything. And of course, I graduated in the time when we had huge hair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, right. So it was like 1990 was when I graduated high school long ago. But so this year is my 30th high school reunion, which is hard to believe. And I remember I go into the photo album and I look at it. It's like eight pages, you know, of this speech. I think I had like 10 minutes or something like that. It wasn't a lot. But and it was basically um, called a moment in time, which is very weird because we recently had write the book and all these kinds of things um, really reflecting that. But I talked very much about the importance of not being fixated on what we were in that moment, but to keep ourselves open to the possibility and potential of every moment in time that would come forward. Because the minute we try to attach to an identity, no matter where we are in our life, we get stuck. Right. We become stagnant. Yes, oh, well, yes. I'm this. I'm this way. Oh, no, I only do this. And I said, let every moment in time come to you as a new moment, as a new experience to challenge you and to always make you become or see yourself in a different way. And um, yeah, I talked about it was all it was inspirational for a 17 year old. <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, OK, but yeah, I still have it. So. That's, a, that, that, that's also the, maybe just coincidence that it, um, that it was called a moment in time, because even right now, fast forward uh, to 2020, we're in a moment of time, obviously, 
like with, with the unusual uh, circumstances uh, through the through the pandemic that, uh, that we're living in. Yeah, and and I've been really adamant in. I do a lot of energy work, a lot of you know work like that on Instagram. My children are very active. You know, we do um, qigong healing together. We actually did a live today, my son and I, and we've been very very vocal about the importance of slowing down right now, being quiet, really focusing on what's coming in those moments in time, right? Irony right there. And just really hearing it versus panicking and thinking about where will I be in 30 days or 45 days? Will I have a job? Will I have money? What will the world look like? That's enough to scare the bejesus out of anybody, you know, because we don't know what that'll be. But if we stay here, if we stay in this moment, this is what we have access. We can be happy in this moment, which means if we have to go back to the 18th century where I have to figure out how to barter butter for, you know, laundry soap, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it and I'll survive and I'll be okay, right? Um, We don't have to worry about that. There's always ways in which society will, will revolve around us if we take the lead. And that's what I think a lot of people haven't done yet. They keep trying to take you know, let the economy dictate who they are, what job they take and what they do. And it should be the other way around. The economy will fit us if we could step up into that lens. Yeah, that's, that's uh, uh, from, from my perspective, that's something that, that I'm trying to, to do. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying to keep the uh, energy uh, levels up and, and yeah. just do the little, little things like consistently and making sure I'm talking, talk, for me, uh, communication and talking to lots of different people uh, around the world and then also including my family that gives me like energy and to to, like keep going and helps keep makes me happy talking to people yeah absolutely and I think people feel different ways right like some of our introverted people right now this is heaven for them right they're like oh I don't have to go out into the hustle and bustle but for many of our extroverted people who feel through interaction, you know, they're feeling a little heavy this week. We've been in quarantine now for, it'll be 30 days on the 13th for us wow. already. Wow. Yeah, our state went very early. We have very low numbers because of it. Our our governor did a really good job, you know, of saying, I'm not waiting. And, you know, nothing was really forced on us, but we just sort of complied seeing New York and seeing other places and mm-hmm. how hard hit they were. And, but even as an extrovert, I have all this media now, social media. I have meetings with my friends, people I write, you know, articles with. We're creating a course to be released next month for three other ladies and myself. And it's great. But at the same time, I can shut this down whenever I don't want it anymore and just be outside, right? And just just be, which I used to have to go to soccer and cheerleading and, <laughs> and classes and grocery and laundry and running around like a crazy woman. And now I don't have to do that. I'm like, this is fantastic. <laughs> so, so, so has it been, so has it been a, a positive or a, or just a different change? Cause, cause Eddie, you said, you said you had like kids. So, so how are you keeping the kids occupied and in tune still? Yeah. Today, well, What's going on in the world? Yeah, their school is online, right, every single day. They have their own Zoom sessions, their own classes. I I still have my classes that I'm teaching for my university, and some weeks we have live sessions, some weeks we don't. So there's enough there, plus just doing my social media work and things like that. But for them, 
they're so peaceful. Like I noticed like the, my son was just napping the other day. He's not a napper. <laughs> and he was napping. And I thought how peaceful that was. And they're, they're beautiful kids. I think because I've been working with them and around them for so long now that they know how to be okay by themselves. And so if I'm busy online, they always know how to go find something. You know, I don't have the kids who need you to entertain them. Those aren't my kids, which is, I guess, it is what it is. But, That's you know. Like right now, so everyone can carry on as best as possible. Yeah. All the things that they need to get done. Yeah, my, my daughter's an artist, so she's always drawing, sketching, whatever. My son's a big time, you know, typical eight-year-old who's, you know, into Fortnite. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that keeps him busy part of the day when school's not there. And then we go outside and we... We do our meditation and yoga and stuff like that outside too. So, yeah. Cool. And, and then I, I believe you also uh, do do um, public speaking, correct? Oh, wait, it broke up there. Sorry. And no worries. <laughs> so, so, you're, so, you're, so you're also a public speaker? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what, what sort what of the, uh, topics do you talk on? Mostly um, child adolescent development, uh, motivation, parenting, um, really how to align your energy with your child, and just everything related to emotional intelligence, emotional well-being. I created an instrument with a couple individuals a couple years ago that's a really popular instrument used by schools and teachers um, and places around the world like hospitals where we're measuring the emotional intelligence levels of individuals and how they best can work together. So it's really about even in corporate America, I've done speaking events for banks as well as schools. I've been to India several times now where I've trained teachers in advancements and special ed. So all those kinds of things. Yeah. And so um, when you're um, speaking to uh, those different audiences of all different, yeah, all different backgrounds and age groups, um, does, the, does the message, does the way you deliver uh, whatever message you're delivering change or are you pretty, like pretty consistent you know that's a good question i would say i am a person who is very empathic and understand like when you walk in the room it's it's really about gauging that energy but also knowing your audience i've been a teacher now for 23 years i've taught everything from eight-year-olds to you know phd level students so you you always have to modify what you're doing for your audience and what it is that you really want them to receive and so you know teachers in india who are really wanting to change the way they teach and the way they provide school you know, you don't want to be coming at them with a, here's how you should do it. You want to be honoring and respecting what they've already done, but here are some additional things, right, that you can look at. Um, I never go in as the know-it-all. I never go in as the expert, even though I know more than they maybe they do. I'm just a conduit to relay some information that can be really helpful and useful for them. So yeah, I definitely modify it. I still do speaking events for schools, you know, young kids, Ooh. teaching them how meditate which is fun and they see me and they're like oh dr renee is here let's meditate you know and so of course you have to teach them differently than if you're working with you know scholars for sure got you so it's so it's just suggesting the delivery method just a tiny bit depending on the context 
ready to do this online event next month. And it was supposed to be a live event. And unfortunately, we can't do it. And we were thinking to ourselves, how are we going to do this online? And we just sat down and realized the audience isn't shifting, right? The energy really isn't shifting. It's just the medium of how we're getting to them. But we can still do focus groups. We can still do fireside chats. We can still do really deep energetic healing sessions together, even in that medium. And so I think when you can realize in public speaking that it's not about finding the limitations, but seeing the limitlessness in the opportunity with the people to create that energy. And you can you can make anything positive. You know, I've always gotten great reviews. People always feel really positive when they're with me. And that's what matters most to me than what I said. Cool. And, and so, so obviously we've established that you've done, uh, you're an educator, you've had a lot of public speaking um, to a variety of audiences kind of around the world. Do, do, do you have, do you have any moments from all, all the stuff you've accomplished so far that like stand out to you for any, any particular reason? Yeah. And it's going to be, it's probably going to be different than what you think. Because it actually came from the mouth of a kid. And I remember them saying to me that, you know, they felt really safe in the moment that they were with me. They said, do you think you can call my mom and teach her how to do this? And I started laughing. And I said, um, probably, but why don't you go home and tell her what you learned today and how it made you feel and that you felt like your anxiety didn't bother you today and why it didn't bother you today. And that you were the one who did that. Dr. Renee didn't do that for you. Dr. Renee is just here to show you what you already have inside, right? And he said, he said to me, I've never not had a panic attack in a day. And that was the day he didn't have a panic attack was when we were together. And I thought, wow, that was, that was so powerful that I could change the, the experience of an eight-year-old right? Because when I was eight, I suffered. I suffered really bad. And nobody could talk to me like that. Nobody could assure me that I was okay, that this would soon pass. And there were things you could do. You know, it was like, oh, you know, panic, panic, panic. We don't know what's wrong with you. You're so emotional. Um, and this kid really showed me that my work is still predominantly with kids and adolescents and teens. Even though I, I work with all ages, I love working with kids the most. Nice, nice. So, so what I'm kind of taking so far from the, the conversation is that you um, do a series of exercises and different uh, strategies that you've uh, learned from kind of your own experiences. Or are you are you trying to do is help like different audiences? Well, let's take the kids for example. You're trying to kind of just tweak and, and adjust their the experiences that they've had to date versus like change them completely. Yeah. And no matter what group I am presenting to speaking to or teaching, we always start with a heartfelt moment together. We always start with um, synchronizing our breathing together and then always, you know, we don't touch each other physically, but hand out to your heart. And we really take a moment and just connecting together. And then we go about what we do. And, you know, I find even little kids will giggle about it at first or, oh, my God, what is she asking me to do? This is so weird. But then they grow into it and they realize they really love connecting. You know, who better, you know, to know themselves than kids? And when you're Absolutely. when you're talking to them, even adults, right, and you're saying, I'm here to honor you and honor your space and what your need is. 
And that's the most important part to me. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, and they're in, they're, they're listening to you. And then the rest is gold. Awesome. And, uh, and so we're, we're just going to uh, take a moment within uh, this, this conversation to hear, hear a little uh, tea fact. Oh, so, uh, so today's uh, tea fact is uh, due to the high cost of tea in the uh, 1700s, um, which went, which we, hang on, which went up to 119%. Uh, we're talking about tea, and, it, and it, so that tea, which went up to that price, uh, and it was often uh, smuggled into the country, um, and then and then the smugglers added uh, dry leaves bark and brick dust uh, to kind of like swell, swell their uh, profits and uh, their product. Uh, and, and, and we're talking specifically about the, uh, the UK here and tea and uh, smuggling and, and, and obviously uh, how they raise the prices. And then this comes from goodhousekeeping.com. Mm, that's interesting. I was going to say when I was in India several times and really understood the value of tea you know and how important it is to the market for sure but i i grew to love chai um just from being in india so i'm hooked cool so so, so take so when you were in india did you did you try lots of different teas or, or just the one tea did you go to the markets and stuff Yes. Oh, God. Yes. I mean, they have everything, you know, turmeric and everything you can imagine there. But I mean, obviously, chai is the main aspect right in India and they make it the big chai wallas on the street, those big giant, you know, um, well, I can't remember what their iron, whatever they're made out of. Right. Those big things on the street. And you just look at it. You're like, this cannot be sanitary. Right. This just cannot <laughs> be sanitary. But it's so hot. I mean, it's like how many thousands of degrees in that big tin. Mm -hmm. And they put in this little tiny cup that burns your fingertips off. So you're like, oh, my God. But it was so good. Um, it was such a great experience. But funny fact about me, I've never had a cup of coffee ever. And I'm 48 years old. I've never drank coffee in my entire life. That's and that makes two of us. Yeah, no, my mom was a tea aficionado. I mean, everything you can imagine from Earl Grey to, you know, peppermint to whatever type there was. We always had this huge array of like this box, you know, my mom was born in Europe. So it makes sense that we would, you know, have all these teas, but she doesn't like chai though. That's one thing she does not like. <laughs> very, very, very cool. And then, so, 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 so what, so what subjects do you teach at the, uh, the university level? Well, thank you for asking. Cause that's often the least exciting part of what I do. Right. <laughs> But I actually teach um, educational psychology courses. So I teach people who want to be teachers, counselors, social workers, psychologists, nurses. I mean, I get the whole social set, uh, network, which is really cool. I teach courses in motivation, uh, cognition, thinking. I actually have a workshop called The Genius Brain. So I teach neuropsychology, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Basically, everything you can imagine on um, how kids learn and develop. And it's super cool because with all the recent brain research now that's out, the field has gotten so hot and people actually really like it now. You know, it's it's not just about child development, but every aspect of development. So. And, uh, and another question that sort of stems out of there uh, with the, 
how easy did you find it being an educator to shift to like online uh, learning and uh, digital with uh, COVID-19? Well, you know, I've been teaching online since 2007. So really, yeah. So my grad class is completely online. We moved it there over 13 years ago because of a need. You know, our teachers were working full time. They had families. Uh, You know, they had other things that they were doing. So we moved a lot of the classes online. Our undergrad programs are predominantly hybrid. So we've been teaching some face-to-face, some online for several, several years. So for me, this was seamless. But some of my older faculty friends um, really were struggling because they had never really adopted it. It's all favorite books. Yes. And, and, you know, whatever, each his own, right? Whatever. And they're fantastic scholars at what they do. But our university was, was brilliant because they had all this training online. You know, they could, they would help them get ready. We have design um, team that actually helped build our online courses and everything like that. So, I think most are doing fine. Where I'm finding the stress is, is in the undergrads who are really worried about how this will impact their grades and things like that. And they're they're really anxious. So, but I I found it fine. I really love it. I've been doing it for so long, so. Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's a really like difficult and no easy answers in terms of grades and making sure it's a level playing field across the board, right? Yeah, we're just, we told them, you know, we're here, we're flexible, we're completely understanding that everyone is not okay right now. And, you know, I just told them if there's anything they should be worried about, it's not me or my class. That's the last thing they should be worried about right now. The psychologist person, that's the one you don't have to worry about. Just let me know what you need, what you're struggling with, we'll get you through. So It's the Tea with Mike show.